Would you grab your Bibles with me, your iPad, your laptop, whatever you got? Let's hold it up. Let's say it together by faith. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same again. I will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 28? Matthew, chapter 28. Can I just say this to you, and I know that all of us have experienced this. I've experienced it. Have you ever had a time where you woke up on a Sunday morning and you did not feel like going to church? Just raise your hand if that's the case. The rest of you are lying. We've all been there. What I have discovered is this, and I got to tell you, I heard it again this week, but I hear it over and over and over, where people will let me know Sunday after church or throughout the week sometime they go call. I just got to tell you, I got up Sunday morning, did not feel like coming. There was stuff that happened inside of our home. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit hit them and went, I know what's going on here. I'm pressing through because I got to get there. The enemy's trying to keep me. You get there and you find out why you had to be there. So I just got to tell you, one of the prayers that I pray uh, going into every Sunday is, Father, for every person who is going to experience an attack on Sunday morning in their physical body, in their marriage, with their children, in circumstances, with a car that the enemy is using to keep them from coming to where they need to be, just would you remove that and clear away? And so I'll tell you, um, when that happens to you, just allow the spirit to twig your mind and to go, I know what's going on here. And uh, don't let it happen. I just want to encourage you in that. Matthew chapter 28. We are carrying on where we began some time ago. I want to read the Great Commission beginning at 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I want to stop right there. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you again for the power of your word that when it goes forth, it has the ability to create faith where there was no faith. I thank you that it is a living word that does to us what no other word does. And I thank you in advance that you have prepared every heart in this place that as this seed is going to be sown, it will not land on rocky soil. It will not land on thorny soil. It will not land on a hard heart. It will not land on a heart full of offense. It will land on a heart that is fertile and open. And I declare the seed that is going to be sown will be able to take root. And I prophetically declare there will be fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold in every open heart today. Father, before we begin, I ask for a fresh anointing. Would you literally possess me, Holy Spirit? My mind, my mouth. I only want to say those things I hear you say and do those things that I see you do. And with the authority you've given in the name of Jesus, I bind up every demonic bird, every hindering spirit. I command you to release every person and be outside the walls of this building. And every demonic entity that has legal right to be in any person in this building or under the sound of my voice, right now I take authority over you and I command you to be silent. You will not interfere with what is going to be spoken today. And Father, I ask again for a loosening over every spiritual ear. God, you have a beautiful way of saying things that I'm not going to say. 
I declare that every rhema word that will be spoken by you into the life of every person under the sound of my voice will be heard. It will be captured. We believe one word from you can change everything. Let that word be spoken and heard today. In the powerful, in the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. We are going to be carrying on what God had us begin some time ago when we were looking at the 40 days that Jesus was on earth after the resurrection, all he accomplished, and then right up to uh, him before he's being taken in the ascension, we're looking at the last words that he spoke and the power of the last words that he spoke. We began by talking about the very first thing where he goes, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he transferred that authority. Before we begin, Cheryl, are you open to share what you shared with me a couple weeks ago about the weather and the wedding and the whole deal? Do you remember that? I kind of forget exactly. You forget? Can I remember it for you and then you can fill in the blank? I'll do that. And I'll tell you, because I, I heard it again this morning where Bev was talking about it, and it just happened to be that it was both of them at weddings where the weather was ending up going to be ugly. Bev was at one yesterday. Cheryl was at one about three weeks ago. And uh, Cheryl just commented, she came up after the message or the week after, she comes up and she goes, I just got to tell you, Call, that in that circumstance, the Holy Spirit reminded me that I have authority over the weather in that place. And so everybody was talking about the gloom and the storm and the whole deal, and Cheryl says no. And she spoke to it and said, we are going to have amazing weather. It's exactly what Bev did yesterday. The whole storm, the whole deal, and all of a sudden when the service was over, they walked out, the sun was shining, and they went outside. And in both cases people around them knew and came and commented and said, thank you for praying. What they didn't know is that they didn't pray to the Lord, but they spoke to the weather. Level one prayer is you talk to God about the circumstance. Level two, you talk to the circumstance about God. And so when we begin to understand our authority, I'll tell you, we begin to change things. I'll tell you really clearly, if I was the enemy, I would make sure that every believer never found out their authority. I'd make sure. I would have you walk powerless your entire life. The second thing we talked about, it was two weeks ago, the week before Canada Day, uh, we talked about a single word, a two-letter word that is probably the most difficult word, the most misinterpreted word, the one that is least obedient of the entire body of Christ, and that is the word go. The Great Commission where he says all authority, and then he says go. So we talked about that great length two weeks ago. And uh, i got to tell you, after that, I've been hearing report after report of people. The Holy Spirit brings that two-letter word to mind, and it's like doors are opening, people taking advantage of opportunity, people leading people to Christ, people speaking into people, praying with people in stores. I just want to say, bless you. If all you got out of that sermon was two words, that is powerful. I want to say it again, and the Spirit is just bringing it to mind, especially as we're going to be talking about today, In every one of these areas that we talk about, the enemy has a plan or a way to actually change it so that what God calls us to do doesn't happen. We talked about this in the Great Commission. God said go. The enemy goes, wait. Build the church. Have an awesome service. Wait for the non-believer to walk in. He perverts the go and turns it into a body of Christ that just becomes passive, waiting for the non-believer to walk through the door. Today we're going to be talking about the second of those where he says go, and then he says make disciples of all nations. 
I want to just say this to you straight up. The Great Commission is not go and make converts. That is not what the Bible says. Don't go out there and just lead someone to Christ. Doing that is like going to the hospital, having a baby, walking out the door, and leaving it there. We're not called to just have babies. We're called to have babies and then take them and raise them up to maturity. I want to tell you straight up, there's going to be a few things I share with you that are a little more personal. But I want to tell you, at the very beginning of our ministry, when we came to Camrose, there was about 20 people, 18 people in the church. We were meeting in the, the Gardner College Music Hall. And uh, I remember when the Lord said to me one time, we were just having a quiet time, and the Lord said, call. He said, if you are not faithful with one new believer that comes into the church, why should I give you more? I got to tell you, that was incredibly sobering. We have commented often that when Malachi was born, our firstborn, we were up at the hospital uh, after when we were ready, the nurse carried him down to the car, put him in the car seat. We drove away. We commented, to her, they have no clue what we're going to do with him. They have no clue if we're the kind of parents who are going to drop him off in a dumpster or we're the kind of parents who are going to love him and raise him up. They had no clue. But I'll tell you what hit us when we got home again. It's like the Lord was saying, if you're not faithful with this one, why should I give you another one? I got to tell you, and a lot of you are going to, you'll be able to relate to this. When I made my final decision, I got saved three times as a kid. My first time at five years of age, my mom, who's here today, led me to the Lord. Twelve years of age, I was at a Bible camp, teen time ranch. I prayed and and received Christ in my life. Fell away again, 17 years of age. I went to a Bible camp and heard the message. It was just, it had Colin's name on it. You've heard those messages? Had your name? It's like, why was everybody else there? This is just for me. I heard that message. I went back to my home, packed my stuff, went to my grandma's in Edmonton, got upstairs, fell down beside the floor, 17 years of age, committed my life to the Lord. And that was the, the, the solid time when it happened. That, that night, swearing disappeared. I woke up the next morning. The desire for alcohol disappeared. Um, a whole pile of things changed. That day, went to work. You know the story. was driving with a guy across the city. He asked me the wrong question. So what would you do on the weekend? I told him he got saved at the end of the trip on the construction on the way over there. Can I just say to you, you don't have to be an old believer to lead someone to Christ. You just need to be one step ahead. But God planted inside of my heart as a brand new believer, I began to be hungry for someone who would come into my life as a spiritual mentor, as a spiritual father, as someone who is more mature than me, take me under their wing and begin to pour into my life. I was hungry for that. In the physical, we know. One of the pictures God gave is if we took our children, we brought them home from the hospital, we put them in the nursery room, we closed the door and said, now grow up on your own. We we know what would happen. They would lay there for a little while, then they'd begin crying because they're hungry, then they'd fill their diaper, no one's changing it, and probably in about 24 or 30 hours, the child would be dead. The truth is, that is what happens in the body of Christ. We go out there, we share with someone, we pray with them to receive Christ, and then we stick them in a crib and we go, grow up on your own. The whole process of maturing them, discipling them, bringing them to maturity has somehow been forgotten. I want to tell you a stat that just blows me away. Billy Graham is known and has been known all over the world, this massive evangelist who has never done more in the Western Hemisphere. Reinhard Bonnke, much bigger in the the Eastern world. I find it really interesting Billy Graham dies. Reinhard Bonnke comes to America to begin to evangelize America. What the heck is that about? 
But the Billy Graham evangelistic crusade who go, they, they lead people to Christ, they have the fill-out cards. Their statistics show that two years after a Billy Graham crusade, when 100% of people come and receive Christ, only 4% of people are still walking with the Lord after two years. 96 have fallen away. 96 are not in a church. 96 have no mentor. 96 are not being spiritually parented. 96 have lost their relationship and are somehow floundering in the crib with no parent to look after them. 17 years of age, God planted inside of me what I believe he plants inside of every spiritual baby in the physical realm. You don't have a baby unless you have a parent. It should be that way in the spiritual. You don't have a baby unless there's a parent. I was hungry for a parent. I was looking for a man of God who would come, take me under his wing and go, call, I have a heart for you. I'm going to pray into you. I want to spend time with you. I want to mentor you. I want to bring you along. I want to pour into you what God's given to me. I want to raise you up spiritually. I want to see you become all you can be. I didn't have that. When I got saved, I went back home to our little Lutheran church in Westlock. I went to the pastor who was there and I said, Pastor, I'm I'm feeling like I would like to begin Sunday evening services. Can I just say to you, those don't exist in the Lutheran church. If you put your hour in in the morning, you've done your deal, right? I came out of Bible school. I said, I'd love to begin an evening service. He thought about it. He came back to me. He goes, call. I'll I'll tell you straight up. He sat down with me. I can see his face. Pastor Swanson was it Swenson? Swenson? Swanson? Swenson. I can see him right there. He looks at me. First thing he says to me, Carl, I want to tell you straight up, I'm feeling threatened by this. Okay, this is a man who is in his 60s. I'm 18 years of age. He goes, I'm feeling threatened by this. I go, how come? He goes, I'll tell you honestly, I'm afraid that if you begin a Sunday evening service, that more people will start coming to your service than they will Sunday morning to mine. But then I'll tell you what what impacted me the most. He looked at me and he says, I'm feeling threatened by Colin. He says, the Lord told me I'm supposed to support you 100%. I'll tell you, that man was at every evening service that we did. That man mentored me the best he could, which was not very good at all. But that man said that he was praying for me. Two times that man asked me out for coffee, where we went out for coffee and just talked. That's all we did. I'm going to bump ahead a little bit and then come back. As I entered into ministry, part of because I come from a different background than the Free Lutheran, I come from an evangelical, and so there was great suspect of me coming into the Free Lutheran Church. So because of that, they put me on probation. Any of you been on probation? Probably for different reasons than me. <laughs> they put me on probation, and what they did is they put an older pastor over top of me so that I would have to meet with him and he'd have to keep track. He would listen to my sermons and, you know, listen to him. We'd talk about it. I had my, my mentor, the, the one that was assigned to me, was in Calgary. And so every couple of months we'd get together. I'll tell you what happened. In, after the first meeting, I began counseling him. He began pouring out his heart, began pouring out his brokenness, began pouring out his life. And I ended up as a young pastor in my 30s here mentoring and pouring into becoming a spiritual father to a man in his 50s and 60s. It seemed like everywhere that I went as I was looking for spiritual fathers that God turned me into one. I want to go back for a bit. 
when I was in university and preparing for seminary, um, I ended up becoming a commercial insulator, started working with uh, some people that I knew from Barhead, got a job, began working. Uh, there was only two of us working at the time. The company grew, multiplied. It was all over the place. They actually offered me partnership in the company. We turned it down. Jane and I had the meeting. We turned it down. Some amazing opportunities to abort ministry in our life. But what ended up happening, I worked on and off there for about eight or ten years going through university and seminary. What ended up happening is that this company began to hire, it was a Christian company, we began to hire lots of young guys who would come in and we would teach them how to insulate. It ended up that that job became a mentorship program. Just recently, some of us were up at Leduc and went to hear Randy Clark and went to hear Bill Johnson. Um, That church, Pastor Landon Dorsch, was one of my spiritual sons as I was a mentor in that company. There was another man who showed up there by the name of Jason Ray, another young man who was supposed to marry Landon's sister. The day before the wedding, we talked. He called it off ended up marrying the person. They're still married. It was awesome today. He became a spiritual son. And and I want to tell you what's really interesting is that without even knowing it, it began to teach me what discipleship is, which is so different than what we've come to believe. But part of what happened, we, we would joke all the time with these guys, and I would say to them, some of you know what it's like, I would say, I spend more time with you than I do with my wife. I didn't like that, but that was real. I'd be up at 6 in the morning. Jane is still sleeping. I would go to work, be there by 6.30, organize the cruise, do the whole overseeing. I would be with some of these guys for eight, nine hours a day. I'd go home. We would spend, you know, three or four hours in the evening with the kids, Jane and I, the whole deal. These guys would see me eight, nine hours. We'd be working together, having lunch together, talking. They would see me do all kinds of stuff. And it was like I had more time with them than I did with Jane. But what ended up happening is... They began to see my life. Now, I got to tell you, I wasn't where I am today back then. I had lots of growing to do. From the time God gave a call to ministry till the time I entered ministry was 13 years. It's because I needed it. But these young guys would come to work. We would work all day. They would see me. We would talk. We would pray. They'd watch me at the job site. Something would rise up. I would set my stuff down. I would lead a contractor to the Lord. I would pray with an electrician who was having marital problems, do all this stuff. I would just make sure my hours reflected it. If I took two hours with someone, my boss was totally open. I just didn't write down those two hours. Eventually, he said, just write down all your hours, call. He was the kind of boss that God gave me favor with him after I began. He came back six months after I was working. He came back. He raised my wage incredibly and go, I'm making it retroactive to the day you began. That's favor. I've lived to that favor my entire life. This young guy that was at Stony Plain, or, or at, uh, at Leduc, he came up, we, we talked, we hugged. When we were working there, after I left, I, I came to Camrose, began in 1994, went back a couple times, the boss died, I went back, I mean, all kinds of stories. This young man came to me, and he said, Carl, I just want to tell you. He goes, in my life, when I'm in any circumstance, doesn't matter what rises up, he says, one of the first thoughts that come to me when I'm thinking, what do I do? He goes, I just need to think, what would Colin do? He goes, because that's the closest that I can get to what I think Jesus would do in the flesh. He goes, what would Colin do? And I got to tell you, that made me incredibly humble because I looked at my life and I went, holy smoke, you don't want to be where I'm at still, but I was one step ahead of him, that's all. But in my cry to have a spiritual father, God turned me into a spiritual father 
And some of you have been around for a long time. This is a church that for 25 years, pastors who've been burned out, pastors whose marriages are on the rocks, pastors who've had horrible experiences, pastors who've been kicked out of their churches, walk into this church broken and say, I need to be fathered. And for a season, I have an opportunity to pour and speak into their life and turn them around, and the vast majority of them are in ministry today. But the cry of every believer's heart, I believe from the moment they get saved is, I need a spiritual parent. I need someone to pour into my life. I need to have a mentor. I have to be discipled. And I want to tell you honestly, when I talk about the church at large, it has failed. I want to tell you what discipleship is not. I went on and I did some look on the computer and I just Googled discipleship, came up with 9 million results on discipleship. 9 million. Right underneath it, it said, Google discipleship training and only 4.2 million came up. Underneath that, this is what it says. A program is not discipling. Reading a book is not discipling. Curriculum is not discipling. A weekend seminar is not discipling. And I added to it, going to church is not discipling. Part of what we have been seduced to in our modern world, the word disciple means to be a pupil or a learner. That's what it means. When I say to you, what, what is it to be a pupil? You know what it is? It's we get up in the morning, we ship them off on a school bus, they go to school. For six hours, we put them under the influence of someone that we wouldn't want their morals in life to be stuck into them, but we do that anyway. They come home again and we go, they're learning. That's what a pupil is. They're being taught. No. Discipleship is. The Greek understanding of the word discipleship is that you find, or actually it's the other way around, we'll get to it, But a teacher finds you, they invite you into their world, and you basically live with them. You work with them. You do everything with them. It is not a student where you go and you get your two hours and you come back. You live with that person to know how they think, see what they do, learn to become. In fact, the word is this. It is a deliberate decision to spend time with a mentor that you want to become like. I'll tell you you why it doesn't work today. It's the same reason why dedication doesn't work when you bring your baby and you dedicate them. It's not biblical. Can I tell you why? Dedication only one time in Scripture. Hannah was crying out to the Lord for a baby. Eli looks and says, you drunk woman. She goes, I'm not drunk. I'm crying out to the Lord. He goes, whatever your request is, you'll get it. One year later, she came back. She had a baby. The cry of her heart was a baby. She goes, God, if you get me pregnant, I will dedicate this child to the Lord. Who is the child? Who is Hannah's child? Samuel, Samuel was born. She raised him up until she weaned him at four years of age, brought him back to Eli and said, I dedicated this child to the Lord. I'm now leaving him at the church. I don't believe in dedication because I don't want your children in the church. You bring them Sunday, but you take them home. That's biblical dedication. You dedicate a child to the Lord, you turn them over. That little Samuel was raised up in the temple by Eli. He was raised up. His mother came every year, brought him coat, brought him a gift basket, brought him all that stuff. From four years of age, little Samuel was raised in the temple because he was dedicated to the Lord. I'll tell you why why, why discipleship has fallen by the wayside in our our day and age. I'll tell you why. 
How many of us find spiritual fathers and we go to them and say, I just want to be with you. I'm going to volunteer my life. Whatever you ask me to do, it's going to be the Elijah-Elijah relationship. I will go there with you. I want to go to work with you. I want to be in your home if you can get me a room in your home. I want to do ministry with you. I want to do whatever I can with you because I want to become like you. I want to have your heart. I want to have your ministry. I want to have your authority. I want to have your power. I need to be with you. Not one hour a week on a Saturday morning. Not one hour a week on a Sunday morning. Not one hour a week on a Wednesday night where you go and someone's teaching and pouring and talking about a video. That's not discipleship. That's become it. That's a pupil. It's not a disciple. I'm not even going to ask you because I know the answer. The, 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 The question is, how many of us in this place have truly been discipled? I wasn't. You aren't. So how in the world do we ever hear a commission and a call from Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples if it hasn't even happened with us? I'll tell you the beautiful thing about the disciples. After three and a half years, Jesus took them, discipled them. Here's what's really fascinating. Judas went off and and hung himself. We know that, disqualified. So after Jesus left, they went back to Jerusalem and said, we need to fill that spot. There was only two men of all the ones who followed Jesus could fill that spot. Can I ask you, what was the qualification in order to become a disciple to fill that 12th spot? What was the qualification? They had to have been with Jesus from the very beginning. They had to be men who gave up their lives. They traveled with him. They slept with him. They ministered with him. They were on the boat that was going to be sunk with him. There was only two men in the hundreds and thousands that followed him that qualified to replace Judas. Two men! When Jesus stood there on the Mount of Galilee and said, you go and you make disciples, he was speaking to men who knew what it was to be discipled. He was talking to disciples. He said, you go and you do with others what I have done with you. I'll tell you straight up, family, if Sunday morning is all you've got, discipleship is not happening. I've asked God about how to change this. I'll tell you honestly, I'm not totally sure yet. But I do want to tell you a couple of things that God has used in my heart over the years that has just awakened this and been a part of of our ministry and part of who we became. When when our kids were little, uh, we lived in town. We did what every parent wanted to do. We wanted to take them and teach them how to swim, so we went to the swimming pool while it was still open. And we registered to to set up lessons. But I, I got to tell you, it's so funny what God uses. I walked into the swimming pool. Some of you heard this before. I walked into the swimming pool. And for those of you, you know, you walk in the door. There's the big open foyer area. The office is over here. There's the office. There's the pool with the windows you walk through. I walked in. We were going to the office. Right over here beside me was a sandwich board. And on the sandwich board, it showed on the sandwich board a whole bunch of blocks on the board. There was about 12 of them. And each one of those blocks was the different swimming lessons, levels that you could take to to go up one level, one level, one level. The very first one was called Tadpole. It was a cute little name for taking little kids or adults who'd never swam before, introducing them to the water just so that you could be a tadpole and learn to get used to the water. That was beautiful. I scanned all the way down and I got to the very last one and what it said was life-saving. You had to go through all of these in order to become a lifeguard. Now, I know that, that Shay, for a long time, has been a lifeguard. I mean, even in Lethbridge, I think she did lifeguarding. She went through all of those categories, and she became a lifeguard. I just read this thing over. I was looking at it. We went to register, and the Holy Spirit just began to speak to me and said, 
when someone walks into the pool, they know how to take them from brand new baby to full maturity. And the Lord said to me, when someone walks into the church, do you know as clearly how to take them from tadpole spiritually to life-saving spiritually? I'll tell you how I answered. I said, I don't have a clue. But God began to work inside of me going, oh my goodness, we better stop evangelizing and stop bringing people to the church because if new believers come to the church and we leave them in the crib and say, grow up by yourself, it would be better for them not to be saved. But I knew because Jesus was calling us to be a family that gave birth to babies and raised them up to maturity that he was going to give away. That is what gave birth to the one-on-one discipleship program that we began that many of you have been through when a brand new believer comes into the church. One of the first things we do is we clean their diapers up by taking them through deliverance. And after that, we stick them with a spiritual parent. Some of you have been amazing mentors to amazing people over a period of time. It's supposed to be three months. Some of you have been three years. Because you attached yourself to a spiritual parent who poured into your life, who began to mentor you. They didn't live with you but you had regular time of pouring in. I got to tell you, when we began the church, well, the church began, but when we began in the church, 1994, shortly after we were there, there was an older couple that came to the church. He had been a uh, covenant pastor, Pastor Alex. Some of you know him. His wife was Teresa, one of the smallest, oldest, most beautiful ladies I've ever met. Some of you know who they are. After I walked out of the pool that day and the Holy Spirit began impressing upon me, we began praying about doing some discipling stuff. We found the Campus Crusade one-on-one discipleship. We still use that today. I said to the church, we were probably about 35 people at that time, and I I said to the church, I said, we know that as we grow, God is going to be using us to lead non-believers to the Lord. Non-church people are going to come to the church. We have to be faithful with every one of them. What that means is when they come, we need to be prepared to start taking them, disciple them, stick a spiritual parent with it. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you part of where God birthed this inside of me, and he just kind of does things in increment. When I left Bible school in 1981, I went to, to Concordia College in Edmonton. In a period of about four weeks at Concordia College, there were 16 other students that I led to the Lord. Every one of those students was coming and they were going, call, can can we spend time? Can we do a Bible study? I realized that I did not have the capacity to meet with all 16 of them and disciple them. I didn't do that. So what the Lord laid in my heart, I began looking and, and found a pile of other students who were Christian. And I said, would you be open to connect with one of the students who just knows the Lord and spend time with them and begin to disciple? We found some program. It, I was, I don't know how lousy it was. Within a period of a month, there were 16 teams of kids who were Christian, other ones that were brand new believers. They were spending time every weekend together, just talking, pouring in, praying, doing the whole deal, walking through this stuff. It was absolutely amazing. I realized then that my job to disciple was not my job. My job was to connect people who could disciple other people. Let me say really quickly, 100% of us need to be fully equipped that when we go out there, when we go, that we are prepared to share our faith, we're prepared to lead someone to Christ. But I want to tell you this, do not use this as a checkout. A pile of the church has used this as a, oh, that's not me. I set you free from that right now. What they say is only 5% of people, in, usually in any body of Christ, only 5% have the gift of evangelism. 
What that means is you walk into a grocery store, pretty soon you're talking to someone, you lead them to Christ. You're on an airplane, you talk to someone, lead them to Christ. 5%, it just comes easy. It's just, it's just easy. That's part of our gifting. That's, that's part of my gifting. It just comes easy. For some of you, you'd rather go to the dentist than you would to share your faith and lead someone to Christ. Part of that is it's not your gifting. Part of that is you're not equipped for it. I want to say 100% of us need to be equipped and ready. If all you do is carry the four spiritual laws and someone comes and a window opens, you go, this isn't my gift. I'm not prepared for it, but I can read. And you read through that sucker and you lead people to Jesus. I can't tell you how many people I led to Christ through four spiritual laws long before I was mature, long before I knew I had the gift of evangelism. I just read. Can I just say to you, if you can read, you can lead people to Christ. But if only 5% of the church has the gift of evangelism that just comes easy, that means 95% of us are meant to take the babies once they're born and raise them to maturity. Now, I'm going to say something to you that some of you are going to bristle with. Let me just say, I don't care. Do you know how I can tell when one of my sheep is mature? Literal sheep. Thank you, babe. I'm setting you free. Not really, because I'm coming to you. How, as a farmer, can I tell when one of my sheep is mature? How can I tell? They begin to multiply. A baby sheep cannot multiply. They do not have the physical capacity. Can I tell you when I know one of my cows is mature? I've got five heifers from last year that the bull is going to go in in about three weeks. Can I tell you how I know they're mature? In that whole raising process, none of them came into heat. None of them showed any sign of being ready. All of a sudden, two days ago, I went out and in the pen of my heifers, all of a sudden, there were signs that they were ready to be bred. You can tell they're mature when they begin to multiply. Can I ask you a question? If that is true in the body of Christ that all you have to look at, I don't, I, you go, I don't know where people are at, I can't tell on the inside, but I can tell you those who are mature because they're multiplying. And I can tell you those that aren't mature because they're not multiplying. They've been a seed, and they've been a seed their whole life, they've been a seed for 30 church, they've been walking in by themselves, they've been walking out by themselves, they've been, been going through all the motions, but there's no multiplication, there's nothing happening. You look at them and go, you can tell someone's mature because they multiply, and if they're not multiplying, you go, they're not mature. There's something missing. Now, let me tell you, when Jesus looked at the disciples who were not where they were meant to be, and I want to say this really clearly. Do you remember when the disciples went to the, the one father had the little boy that was thrashing on the ground. He was demon-possessed. He would throw himself in the fire, throw himself in the water. Do you remember that? They came to the disciples and said, my little boy's got an issue. Would you, would you come? And the disciples went over there and they exercised their authority and they did whatever and they, they prayed and they did. What happened? Nothing happened. Then Jesus shows up, and the Father, I'm so thankful the Father didn't go well. If the disciples couldn't do it, I guess that's it for him. Can I just say, if you got someone who's got cancer and someone shows up to pray for them, they don't get healed, don't settle for that. Find someone who has the authority, can speak to that cancer, and watch it die. Don't settle that. Well, my pastor prayed, and, and they're... Are you hearing what I'm saying? That father did not settle when the disciples who walked with Jesus couldn't cast the demon out. 
He went and said, Jesus, your, your disciples prayed they couldn't do it. I'm, I'm taking it a step up here. I find this the craziest thing. Okay, you, you explain this to me. You go for a haircut and you don't like the person who cut your hair. What do you do? You don't go back to them. You go look for another one. Why do you do that with your hair, but you don't do that in the spiritual realm? Explain that to me. We do that with our cars. My car doesn't work. I take it to a mechanic. They don't fix it. I go, well, trash the car. That mechanic couldn't fix it. I go, no, trash the mechanic. Go find another one. I read that story and I go, God, make me like that father. When I ask someone to pray and it doesn't work, set them aside. I'm going to a higher. They pray it doesn't work. I'm going to a higher. I'm going to keep on knocking, knocking, knocking until I find someone who has the faith, can use their authority, can speak to that issue, and boom, it's done. You ever feel like you give up too soon? That father found Jesus. Jesus comes over. I'm not sure what he did first. I can't remember in scripture you tell me. Did he look at the disciples and goes, oh boys, oh you have little faith. And then he said, get out of the boy. The demons flew and the little boy lay in the ground like he was dead. They, they got him. He wasn't dead. He was just at peace because the demons were gone. But here's what I'm saying. When he looked at his disciples and says, you boys don't have enough faith. That wasn't condemnation. You know what that was? Boys, that's your present condition, but I'm going to change you. When you and I look at ourselves and we, when we, we understand that to be, mature, to be mature spiritually means that we're multiplying. To be mature means we're multiplying. And we look and go, holy smoke, that disqualifies me because I have not multiplied at all. I don't want you to hear that as condemnation. Jesus is looking at you going, that's your present condition, but I'm going to move you. I'll tell you straight up before we get going. There's a pile of Christians in the body of Christ who have been so comfortable for years being on their own. They don't want to multiply. They don't want to share their faith. They don't want to get out there. They don't want to do anything. They they don't want to. And you know what? God won't force them. He won't make them. He'll let them go through the motion, go through all that stuff their entire life. They were saved alone and they will die alone. And there was no fruit, no maturity, no nothing. Somehow he lets that happen. I'll tell you today, if that's what you want, that, that's what you'll get. But for people who go, I'm not good with that. I remember when God got hold of me and began growing in my life, I got to a point where I said to God, God, either I'm all in or I'm, I'm all out. I don't want to be halfway. I don't want to be the mediocre. I don't want to be a traditional preacher. I don't want to be someone who just goes through the motion. I want to be in the front line. I want to make a difference. I want to be the kind of person when I wake up in the morning, the devil goes, oh, great, calls awake. I believe that's in all of us. And somehow the enemy gets us to a point where we settle and we get to a point where we go, I really don't want to change my comfort. I want to be in a church that just pacifies me and tickles my ears. I'll tell you, you can find a pile of them out there. If this church ever becomes that, you come and talk to me, you set up a meeting and go, call, we have gone flat. If that happens, I will rip my clothes. I will stop eating and go into prayer and fasting until it awakens inside of me and life comes again. My prayer is this will never be that kind of a place. Our call is to make disciples. That's our call. How do we do that? I don't even want to take the time this morning to ask you. One of the questions that rose up was like, okay, just throw it out there and say, okay, what has happened in your life that has caused you to move forward in the discipleship process? Can I just throw this? I will never forget when the Lord showed me this. How many years was Jesus with the disciples 
from the time that he began with them, they were tadpoles until he left and they were lifeguards. They were multiplying. How, how many years did that take? Three and a half years. Would you just raise your hand if you have been a believer for longer than three and a half years? Just raise your hand, would you? What that means is if we're three and a half years old in the faith, we should be at lifeguarding spiritual stage. If we had the right discipleship, we should be at... Now, I want you to look around the room. I'm going to ask you another question. How many of you believe that you are a fully mature disciple? Which means you are multiplying, which means that you have moved from tadpole. You could sit on that pole and be a lifeguard. And how many of you are at that mature life-saving stage? How many of you? Almost every one of us raised our hand that it was past three and a half years and virtually no one raises their hand going, I'm mature. I want to say this to you. I don't believe it was Billy Graham's fault at all that after two years, only 4% were believers. That was not Billy Graham's job. You know what Billy Graham's job was? Billy Graham was an obstetrician. He went into the delivery room and he pulled babies into the kingdom. He pulled them into the kingdom. By the thousands, he pulled babies into the kingdom. Then he said, churches, you're the nursery. Here's these babies. My job was to pull them in. My job was to help them give birth. Your job now is to take them and raise them to maturity. Can I tell you who dropped the ball? It wasn't Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It was us. And I would love to say we're no longer dropping the ball. But can I tell you? We're dropping the ball. It's going to change, guys. We can't even touch our Jerusalem unless when a baby is born, we are ready. The nursery is ready. How do you make a disciple? You got your pen and paper? I want to give you six things that I am counting on the Holy Spirit to not let you sleep with at night. In 1995, just after I came to Camrose, Promise Keepers was just beginning. It was in, in full swing. A number of us have been there. I was a brand new pastor in town. God laid upon my heart to put together a bus. We rented a bus, 54-seater. Opened it up to all the churches. We filled the bus in a very short period of time. Drove that bus down to Seattle to the kingdom. We joined with 63,000 men in the kingdom. It was powerful. One of the things I will never forget coming out of that meeting is one of the speakers, I can't even remember who it was, but one of the speakers, he made the statement. He said, in the life of every believer, he said there needs to be three people. He said, every one of us needs a Paul, every one of us needs a Barnabas, and every one of us needs a Timothy. He goes, every one of us needs a Paul. What that is, is we need a spiritual father, someone who is above us, someone who is more mature, someone that is pouring into our life, someone that is there, and it's pouring in this way. We need to be the pupil, they need to be the teacher. Every one of us have that. Can I tell you again? We are not ignorant of the enemy's design. Yes, we are. Here's the enemy's design. If every one of us need a spiritual father, especially us men, the design of the enemy is to go, I don't need anybody in my life. I don't need anybody speaking to me. I don't need anybody who is there to correct and to teach. And Can I tell you, there are a pile of Lone Ranger men, believers out there who have no Paul. And you can tell they have no Paul. They're a wild, juvenile elephant who has no father over them to teach them what it is to be a man. 
to teach them what it is to be a spiritual man. The design of the enemy is working well in the body of Christ because a pile of men do not have Paul's. But they said, every man needs a Paul. Every one of us needs a Paul. We need a spiritual parent. He said, every one of us needs a Barnabas. Barnabas became the companion of Paul. Barnabas was the encourager. Barnabas was arm in arm. Barnabas was the brother. Every one of us need to have a brother in our life. Someone who's there to help us do what we can't do. Someone who's got our back when we're facing forward. Someone who's the encourager when we're down. Jesus never sent them out one by one. He sent them out two by two with a brother. Why? I got to just tell you one of my observations. I believe it is the grace of God that allows us to have a men's group in the church the way that we have it. I have watched over the years as God has moved in that men's group, the men who are coming, the change that has happened. (laughs) I got to tell you again, when Randy came back and he came to men's group, he came down early to come to men's group on that Saturday morning. In men's group, he goes, guys, I cannot tell you how much I miss being with you, the fellowship, the relationship. He goes, I miss this. He goes, I need this. I need a place where I have brothers. I have watched that group become a place where men have found brothers and have relationship in a way that men who aren't a part of it, many of them don't have. I'm not saying that's the only place you get it, but I am saying it's probably the best place you get it. Every one of us needs a Paul. Every one of us needs a Barnabas. Every one of us needs a Timothy. What is a Timothy? Timothy was a young man who came into Paul's life. He became the pupil. He traveled with Paul. He became the student. He was not just, he was not a modern day student. He was a disciple that said, Paul, I want to be where you are. I want to go where you are. How many of us in our life have said, God, just show me. Show me a young person. Show me a young spiritual person. Can I tell you, I've had Timothys in my life who are 70 years old. I'm not talking age-wise here. When you get a brand new baby that's 70 years old, that's a baby. You can be 30 and mentoring someone. This is not a physical thing. We understand it in the physical realm. But how many of us have prayed, God, would you show me who the Timothy is in my life? Because I need to be pouring into someone. I need to be discipling into someone. I need to be taking what you have given me and pouring it into them so that they can rise up, rise up, right? I want to tell you straight up, I believe one of the designs of the enemy with our children was age segregation and education. Oh, this isn't popular, but let me tell you. Age segregation. That means sticking kids with other kids the same age. Do you know why? Because the moment that happens, anywhere in society, the moment you take those of the same age and you make them socially so that they need each other to accept you, you begin to retard their emotional development. Can I tell you how we were meant to be raised? Age segregation schooling is only a modern day thing. Do you know how people were raised up in days of old? Can I tell you how? A lot of us were raised with this environment. Some of you older men, you were there. Who did you hang with? All the kids your age? Or did you hang with your dad? Did you hang with older men? Can I tell you, in society, when you hung with older men, you go, that's what I want to become like. I need to hang with who I want to become like. I'll tell you what you already know. History reveals that men in the United States at 12 and 13 years of age were ambassadors for America, going to other countries, representing their country at 12, 13 years of age. That's when they were mature because of how they were raised. We got to a point where we say, well, they're really not mature until they're 18. They can't vote. 
They can start drinking then. 18 is a responsible age to drink, isn't it? Now, can we just change that? We're in a day today where you've got men who are 25 and 30 and they're still not mature. Or 70. I met a 70-year-old man the other day that was still wearing spiritual diapers. Let me tell you, age does not bring maturity. We've got to have a Paul. We've got to have a Barnabas. We've got to have a Timothy. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because I know what it would be saying, how many of you have that Paul in your life? It would be dismal. How many of you have that Barnabas? Some of you might. How many of you have a Timothy that you're pouring into? I know what it would be. Guys, I know. But I'm looking at you saying what Jesus said. You're not going to stay here. How did Jesus make disciples? I want to give you six things. Would you write them down? Number one is this. He called them. He called them. I heard an apostle say, Jane and I spent time with an apostle some time ago. I heard an apostle say, I'm at a place in my life now where I will no longer pursue students, but if they phone me and want to spend time with me, I will. I thought that makes sense. I thought about that for quite a while. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to say to me and say, call, line that up with Scripture. Can you imagine if Jesus would have said, I'm not going to call anybody. I'm just going to wait, and for those who want to come and hang with me, they can come, but if they don't come, then we're not going to do that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen? You make a disciple that as a parent, as a spiritual parent, you say, God, who is it that you want me to invest in? Jesus went, Father, who is it you want me to invest in? Jesus went. He specifically called 12 men by name, said, follow me. He called them. I want to say to you, when the door opens up for you to step through in faith and begin to have a Timothy, God's going to lay on your heart who that Timothy is. You're going to go to them as a spiritual parent and say, God laid you on my heart. I believe that I'm supposed to invest in your life. Would you pray about it? And if it's yes, let me know. I do not believe it is the student going to the parent. It's the parent going to the student. What a seduction of the enemy in this whole area. He called them. Would you write down number two? He modeled for them. The first thing Jesus did with the disciples, he said, you follow me. I love this promise. You've heard me talk about it before. The greatest promise, he goes, follow me and I will make you. Follow me, I will make you. When I began commercial insulating, I began with someone who had done more than I have. He said, just follow me, just watch me. He said, you follow me, I'll make you an insulator. I became better than him. It was awesome. And he was so excited about that. I believe every Elijah wants their Elijah to go farther. I believe that. You got the wrong parent if they want to stunt you and keep you below them. But Jesus said, you come with me. You just watch me. You hang with me for a while. You see how I speak to people. You see the compassion I have. When you want to call down fire from heaven, you watch me going, no, 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 no. Don't nuke them. Love them. You can't learn that in the classroom, but you can watch it on a job site when someone comes screaming and hollering at me in the job and my guys are behind me and they're waiting to see how Carl's going to respond. And I look at them and I say, in calmness, I say, you want to talk to me? You talk to me with gentleness and respect. And if you can't, there's no conversation. And I walk away. And all my young guys are going, holy smoke, I thought he was going to swear. I thought he was going to hit him. Can I tell you what happened? When people came hollering and screaming at them, instead of standing there and hollering back, they stood there and go, what would Carl do? Oh yeah, you want to talk to me? You talk to me with respect. 
You don't find that in a classroom. You don't find that on a Sunday morning. You don't find that in a textbook. You find that when you're hanging with a spiritual father and you see how he handles the mechanic when he screws up your motor. Some of you as young men, when your dad was there and something happened, you watched them rage. You watched them swear. You watched them break two by fours. You watched them do things. And it was like, holy smoke, I guess that's what you do. No, no, no. No, change fathers. I remember one time, amazing example. 16 years of age, I was out in the field with the tractor doing work, and I was doing what I did on the tractor. I was singing. The day was over. I was coming home. I had the equipment behind me. I was driving through the gate. I wasn't paying attention. I was just singing. And all of a sudden, I hear this crash. I look around, and here, my equipment caught the side of the fence and the gate and pulled the sucker right out of the ground. My first thought inside of me was, Dad's going to find out. So the best way to blow up a bomb is put it off yourself. I went to find my dad, and I said, Dad. I said, I wasn't paying attention. Smashed your gate. Can I tell you, as a father, in that moment, we have a lot of choices. I will never forget my dad. He looked at me. He said, let's go have a look, son. We drove out there, looked at the gate, smashed. The machinery wasn't damaged. All he did, he looked at me, and he said, I guess we'll just get up a little early tomorrow morning and go fix it, won't we? I said, yes, sir. I'll tell you, that one lesson taught me a lifetime of lessons. When people screw up in my circle, when my children screwed up, it's not a matter of hauling. It's not a matter of swearing. It's not a matter of shaming them. It's a matter of saying, okay, happens to all of us. Let's fix it. In a world where I watch dads throw anger at their children because they're not perfect, like, heck, he's perfect? Serious? They watched Jesus model his life before anything else. He said, just watch me. Just watch me. For the sake of time, just write down number three. Just write down he taught them. He did teach them. Any father will teach you. When Jesus taught publicly, his disciples were behind him. They heard all the teaching publicly. How often does the scripture say after he was done, they took him aside and said, Jesus, what the heck did you mean? He taught them publicly. They learned it. But he also taught them privately. He told them things in private that were not public. He told them things and explained things to them. He brought them to a point of understanding what he was teaching, understanding what was going on. Can I tell you, don't ever have a spiritual father. Don't ever have a physical father unless they're pouring their wisdom into your life. That's what we need. You can tell a man in a moment when he opens his mouth when the only thing that comes out of him is his own wisdom. You can tell a student, you can tell a person who's in discipleship when they open their mouth and out of them flows a wisdom that is beyond them. Where'd you get that from? My spiritual father. Would you write down number four? He empowered them in his presence. He empowered them in his presence. Let me tell you what that means. Jesus had his disciples watch him over and over and over perform miracles They watched him when he performed a miracle. He never prayed to the Father. He never prayed. Jesus never prayed and performed a miracle. He never did. He never prayed for the sick. He never prayed for the demonized. If you and I are still praying for the sick and still praying for the demonized, we don't understand our authority. We have never been discipled. We're still functioning in powerlessness and in form. Can I just say that to you? They watched him when he went. 
to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law is laying there with the fever. They watched him go in and talk to the fever. Fever, you release her. She's got to cook me a meal. And the fever took its bag and its cane and walked out the door with its chicken soup that so many of us really enjoy going fever when you're here. I'm going to shut down a couple days, let you in my living room and let you have your way with me. Serious? They watched him, watched him, watched him. All of a sudden, the day came when he said, now you do it. I'll stand here. I'll watch over you. I'll make sure it's okay. But I want you to do it. And I'm open for you to screw up. We'll just correct it. I'm open for you to make a mistake. We'll just learn from it. I'm open for you to fail because trying and failing isn't failure. It's learning. I'm going to stand here until we get it right. You, you've heard me talk about Bob. I came to Camrose. Bob found me. Bob invited me into his ministry. Bob watched, allowed me to watch him do miracles. And the day Bob said, call, you pray for that person and watch their legs grow. Oh, Jesus. Jesus empowered his disciples to do it with his presence. When someone sends you out there to do something you've never done on your own, you go, I don't want that as a spiritual father. They're setting me up for failure. No, a spiritual father will watch you. He'll stand there. He'll make sure that things are good. You say it wrong, he'll correct it in love. You do it wrong, he'll correct it. He did that with the disciples. That was number four. Can I tell you what number five was? After they had been empowered and done it with him there, he goes, now, Luke chapter 9, guys, you go out on your own. I'm staying back here. This is your next growth. I'm not going with you. I'll be praying for you, but you go out there. You preach the gospel. You cast out demons. You heal the sick. You raise the dead. You do all that stuff. Then you come back and report to me. Luke chapter 9, they came back. Luke chapter 10, they came back going, Jesus, demons, we saw, we, demons, we, we, they just, woo, they were gone. Jesus goes, I saw them fall like stars from the sky. It's one thing to fly the airplane with your teacher beside you. It's another thing to get off the ground with no teacher there going, oh, Jesus, it's you and me. And you land that thing and your teacher's standing there going, good job, you didn't die. That's part of discipleship. They send you out when they believe you're equipped on your own to fly solo. And when we go solo, 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 eventually we get to the point where Jesus goes, you're good now, boys. I can leave you physically. I won't leave you spiritually, but you're equipped. You're mature. Three and a half years did it. You are a disciple. Now go out there and do with others what I did to you. You call them. You model for them. You teach them. You empower them with your presence. You empower them without your presence. And when they are ready, you leave them, have them go do their own thing, and you'll know they're mature when they begin to multiply without you there. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, as a result of that, number one, you go. You bring babies into the nursery. And number two, when they come, you make disciples. You take them from tadpole to life-saving. You take them from infancy to maturity. You take them from selfishness to selflessness. You take them from being an individual to multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. I'll make you a promise. You got the guts to hang out in this church a little longer? I promise you, you won't stay where you are. 
God is changing us for two reasons. Number one, we need to be mature for us. But number two, that dying Jerusalem, they don't need a quarter mature disciples. They don't need half mature. They don't need people who have been in a church for 30 years touting the weight instead of the go. They need mature disciples who know how to take a baby and raise them to maturity. That's what they need. Can I ask you a question? Dozens of churches in Camrose for over 100 years. Is our church saved? Is our, is our Jerusalem saved? God's going to use some church. He's going to use some people, somebody, eventually, over 100. Someone's going to rise up and go, this is your call. The Jerusalem needs to be. You've got to go to it. And when they come, you're faith. Why not us, guys? My prayer would be there were 30 churches that are rising up and doing the same. But let's not, that, that's to some, why not us? Why couldn't we become a faithful nursery? Why couldn't we become people when the babies are being birthed out there and brought in? We take them and go, Tadpole, great to have you, Tadpole. We know exactly what to do with you. We're not going to stick you in a crib and let you raise yourself. We're going to take you. We know how to take you until you are life-saving and multiplying. We're going to raise you to maturity, Tadpole. Would you bow with me in a word? Dana, could I have you come? There's a pile of areas this morning that we could talk about and minister to, but I said, Lord, I said, is there one thing? He goes, yes, there's one thing, one thing. There are a pile of babies that are even inside this body who had the cry of their heart like I did when I first got saved and said, I don't have a spiritual father. I might have a Barnabas, but I don't have a spiritual father. I don't have a spiritual mother. I need to have someone in my life who is pouring into me, someone who's investing in me, someone who is building me up, someone who is helping me to move from maturity to maturity to maturity. I need someone who's going to not be content with me being a tadpole, but they want me to be at life-saving. I need that, Lord. I need that. Lord said, call. You open the door for people to express their heart to me if the cry of their heart is to have that spiritual father or mother and they don't have it after years and years of being in a church, years of being a believer, just have them ask me. And I will begin to move heaven and earth. I will begin to shift things in in every realm in order for that to begin whether they're 80 or they're 8. The day of juvenile elephants running without a male father who's teaching them and disciplining them and guarding and watching over them and raising them up to be healthy. The church is full of juvenile elephants that are damaging and killing their own children, their own marriages, their their own circle. I'm not responsible for any other person out there, but I'll tell you, I'm responsible for me. When I said, God, I do not want to be that rebel, juvenile elephant. Put me underneath. I'll tell you what you already know. Every one of us have the ability to say no. I will not. I do not want. I will not put myself under a spiritual father. I will be independent. I will be my own. I will... You've got that right. Jesus also gives people the right to choose hell. I don't know why. I guess it has to do with love.
But for those who go, that's not what I want. I'm tired of being in kindergarten spiritually. I'm tired of walking in immaturity. I'm tired of not being a lifeguard. I'm stuck at tadpole. I feel like I'm just an infant. I hardly know how to keep my head above water, let alone save other people to get out there with those who are drowning and know how to take them and save them and then raise them. So this is the only thing today. If the cry of your heart today is I need a spiritual father. I need a Paul, a spiritual mother. I need a Paul in my life. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I'm going to ask you to quietly come before the father, just you and him express your heart to him just say Father I'm like Paul I have been aching for someone to pour into me I have been aching to be mentored I have been aching to be discipled I do not want to be immature anymore I don't want to be floundering out there I want to be multiplying just tell the Father your heart right now just tell him in a moment I'm going to pray into this Father you never meant for any child to be born outside of the context of a loving mother and father we know the enemy's design that was only a picture it was never your will for a child to be born again into the family of God and not have spiritual parents over them your will has always been for those children to be loved and nurtured to be raised up to maturity to begin to be those who multiply and can go out and do the same that was done to them. That has always been your heart. That is still your heart. I first of all ask your forgiveness as a church and all the churches where we have failed, where we have dropped the ball. When the new converts from Billy Graham came into the church and because there was no nursery ready, they they fell away. Father, would you forgive us? As the church at large, would you forgive us? And would you empower us to begin doing it differently? It still amazes me that you can hear the prayer and the heart of every person at the same time as though they're the only one. That amazes me, Father. But I thank you that right now you have heard the heart of every one of your children who have come and said, Daddy, I need that in my life. I need that spiritual Paul. I need that mentor. I need the one who is discipling and pouring into me and raising me to maturity. I need that. Father, when Jesus was here, he said, if we asked anything in accordance with your will, you will bring it about. And so on that promise, I prophetically declare that every one of you who prayed for that spiritual parent Every one of you who said, Father, that's the cry of my heart, I prophetically declare that it is now beginning to come to pass. Whether you're 8 or 80, we all need that spiritual parent. Father, we invite you to shift whatever circumstances in our life you need to to bring it about. We ask you to open our eyes make us sensitive to those in our world who might be that person. We ask that we would be open and receptive when a spiritual parent comes our way and says, would you pray and consider spending time with me? Would you give us discernment? Would you give us openness? Would you make us teachable? 
I release a special grace over every independent man in this place who has walked without a spiritual father. That independence has become deeply rooted. I release a grace over that now that that would be broken. That would be broken and there would be a softness and openness again. I prophetically declare a spiritual Paul in the life of every person who said, I want that. Holy Spirit, would you seal what you have done in this place today? I thank you again for the words that you have spoken into your children that did not come out of my mouth, but they came out of your mouth. Would you seal those words? Would you cause them not to be forgotten? Father, we declared at the beginning that today we would never be the same again. We declared that believing. And so today, we declare it again. Because of today, because of you, we will never be the same again. I declare over you what you already know. As children of God, I declare the Lord has blessed you and he's keeping you. I declare the Lord has caused his face to shine upon you and he's been gracious to you. I declare that he has lifted up his countenance upon you and he has shoved you full of his peace. I declare that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everybody believing and receiving said, Amen. You are blessed people. Have an awesome day, awesome week. We'll see you next Sunday, men, next Saturday, 7 o'clock. Would you greet a couple people on the way out the door? Just give them a hug. Let's do that.